communicate this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Good morning, everyone. Just wait for the slide to come up. Or maybe I start anyway. So the subject this morning is identifying with others. But um, this reminded me of something that happened to me at the end of my first year at university. So um, they had final exams for the end of year. And I turned up for my history exam feeling quite well prepared. And I went into the room. And it was up because I didn't recognize other people who were there. And then when I looked at the paper, it wasn't for my subject at all. So I thought, oh, I've come to the wrong building. So I came out. And on the wall, they had all the timetables up when they were. And I studied them. And I thought, well, I'm in the right building. And then the horrible truth dawned on me. The exam was the previous day. And uh, that was a nightmare. And, um, but it, it sort of reminded me that you know, if, you, if you get the basics wrong, it doesn't matter how prepared you are. And, and in thinking about this subject, I, I do see real risks. So let me talk about two risks I see with this subject. And uh, the first risk is that I give you some popular psychology on identifying with each other, perhaps with a few Bible verses to you know, bring it out because we're in church. Um, that would be awful. Um, the second uh, pitfall is that I give you good advice. And you might think, well, actually, you know, we could all do with a bit of good advice. That would be fine. But, you know, the thing about good advice is that it never saved anybody. You know, if good advice was enough, we didn't need Jesus. Good advice is not enough, and so we do need Jesus. And so I, I want to kind of look at this whole subject in the light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at it from the God perspective. And only by doing that will we get true insight. So let's have, uh, let's have the next slide up, please. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There's a double emphasis on God creating men and women in his image. And that's not said about anything else in all creation. If you think about the whole universe in its complexity and its diversity, um, it's only said about men and women that God created them in his own image. And that tells us that right from the beginning, God identified with us. He put his identifying mark on us, and he was looking to have a special relationship with men and women that was different from his relationship with other species. And that's important. And uh, there's more like it. Next slide. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Um, imagine that you know, after this, you, you go home, and uh, you look at your mobile phone, checking the news, or, or go on TV, and there's a kind of headline, top headline in the news is that the prime minister has resigned, and he's going to take a full-time job working as a cleaner in a public toilet. <laughs> imagine the shockwaves that would send. That would be the biggest item on the news across the world, wouldn't it? And, and people would be saying, gosh, that's a step down, isn't it? You know, you're prime minister, and then, you, and then you're going to do this. But, you know, that's nothing to the step that Jesus took, that God Almighty, who always was and always will be, who created the entire universe, becomes a human being. 
And it says in Philippians 2, verse 7, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. You know, is that a huge step down? Um, and, and he doesn't just come to be with us. He comes to be with us as one of us. God becomes a human being. God becomes flesh and blood. That's identifying with human beings in a most remarkable way. Next slide. Jesus, the Son of God, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And that tells us something about the nature of Jesus' life as a human being. He did not live a protected life. He did not live a kind of closeted life. He doesn't observe the world through uh, the, the air-conditioned windows of a tourist bus. I see God is, is, is not a sheltered existence. He's exposed to the full force of uh, the awfulness of human life. I mean, you've only got to think about the circumstances of his trial. He's um, arrested by people who hate him on entirely bogus charges. He's brought before a weak judge by corrupt prosecutors. He has no defense team. No one speaks up in his defense. He's sentenced to death and then tortured to death. Jesus does not live a sheltered life. And, and the same is true about temptation. You know, Jesus um, was exposed to the full force of the devil's temptations. Uh, none of us quite experience that because we all give in before it gets to that point. But Jesus, who never gave in, withstood all that Satan could throw at him by way of temptation. So God is identified with us in the mess and the pain and the hurt of human life because he's experienced it all. Next slide. Time for, a, time for a true story, actually. So this may feel like a diversion, but it does have a point. In, um, at the end of June 1976, uh, an Air France plane with 248 passengers on board was hijacked and flown to Entebbe, which was the, the main airport in Uganda. And uh, the terrorists then took uh, all the passengers into the old terminal building, and they quickly divided them into two groups. So... Um, in one room, they put all the Israeli passengers, and, and anyone else they could obviously spot as Jewish. And then the rest of the passengers were in a different room. And then um, after a bit of time had passed, uh, I think probably a few days, maybe even a week, um, they then announced that they were going to release um, all of the passengers who weren't part of the Israeli Jewish group. And uh, another Air France plane arrived, and they, and they took all those people away. And, um, of course, for the most part, those who were in the kind of Israeli-Jewish group hadn't had any choice about the matter. But, but some people did have choices. And it, it, it's interesting what happened is that in the original division of passengers, three passengers who were Jewish or Jewish-Israeli, um, who weren't called by the terrorists, just went with the Jewish-Israeli group. So they chose to identify with their uh, fellow believers and fellow countrymen. Um, but at the end, when uh, you know, one group's getting entirely free, um, you think, well, what, what, what would it mean to choose to stay with the Israeli group? 
that was clearly in great danger of their life. And um, actually, actually, there's two parts to the story. First of all, the captain of the Air France airplane announced that he would not go with those who were being released. The terrorists had intended to release the, the air crew, but he said, I will stay. These are my, my passengers, and I will stay with them. And the rest of the crew followed suit. So the Air France crew um, decided to stay with the Israelis and the Jews. And then um, a, a French nun um, said, well, I'm not going to go either. I'm going to stay, and I want to take the place of one of the Israeli or Jewish group. So I'll take your place, and, and you can send on. Um, in fact, they wouldn't let that happen. So Ugandan soldiers bundled her onto the flight, and they took her away anyway, despite her protestations that she wanted to stay. And you might think, well, so where am I going with all this? Let's have the next slide. And I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about that French nun, and I'm wondering what she was thinking about. Was, was she thinking of Jesus? Was she thinking of these verses? Because, you know, this is the truth of the matter, is that, that, that Jesus, who, who didn't belong with sinners, who wasn't a sinner, who didn't belong in that group, nevertheless chooses to give up his freedom and his life to take the place of us who did belong in that group. So we walk free while he takes our place. Now that's identifying. That's identifying. Next slide. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You know, adoption is a big deal. It's a huge decision, and no one should adopt lightly without carefully considering it. It has lasting legal and practical consequences, to, to bring a child into your family and count them as one as yours. But that's what God, that's what God does for us. He adopts us into his own family. It's hard to think of what could be more identifying than adopting us into his family. God has identified with us completely. Next slide. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him She's a sinner. So the, the context for this quote is um, a, 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 a kind of Jewish religious figure has, is holding a big dinner party. And he's invited lots of people to that, and Jesus has been invited. Jesus is probably actually the guest of honor at this dinner party. But then during proceedings, a woman um, with a dodgy background embarrasses everybody by crying over Jesus, by touching him, by washing his feet with her tears. And, and so the Jewish leader then comes out and says this. If he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. And um, I, I guess, you know, that Jewish leader is probably just expressing something that some people, even today, still think. That, you know, if you're a genuinely holy people person, you need to kind of keep your distance from people who are a bit dodgy. But, you know, he's 100% wrong. Because Jesus, who is a prophet, who is more than a prophet, knows exactly what kind of woman this is. He probably knows a lot more about her sins than that Pharisee would ever know. And he's entirely comfortable with her touching him. He's entirely comfortable with it. 
doesn't bother him at all. And in fact, you know, this is not an isolated story in the Gospels. The Gospels are peppered with stories that are very much like this. In fact, the whole impression we get of Jesus Christ is he's much more comfortable hanging out with sinners than he is with people who are outwardly decent. So God is comfortable with us. You know, uh, some people think that God loves us because uh, deep down we're all kind of lovable people. And um, I, I, think that's, I think that's bad theology. I think it's, I think it's sentimental thinking. Um, but actually, I, I also would go on and say, I don't think it's actually very helpful. Because it's all very well me thinking on a, on a nice day when I'm feeling good about myself, that yes, God loves me because deep down I'm a lovable person. But what about the other times? What, what if I'm not really a lovable person? What if I do something that shows that I'm not a lovable person? No, the truth is way better than the sentimental lie. Because the truth is that God loves us because that is who he is. God loves us because that is who he is. And he loves us knowing the worst about us. And he always will. Next slide. What's the most important commandment? Again, a Jewish leader asked Jesus that question, didn't he? I'm sure, I'm sure probably most people here could repeat the answer. And Jesus says, the most important commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the most important commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what Jesus said. I, I paraphrased it, but it's there, it's, it's there more than once in, in the gospel. Now, you know, some people, when you, when you ask them a question, they give you more information than you need. And it's just, I guess, the way people work. It's not criticism, but you know, we probably all know people about that. You say something to them, and you, and you get a lot of extra stuff. And, um, and, and that's just, as I said, the way some people are wired. Jesus emphatically was not like that. You know, if you, if you think about things in, in the Gospels, Jesus is the master of the one-liner before one-liners ever became a thing. You remember him with the, the woman caught in adultery? And, and, and they're all kind of watching. And what does Jesus say? He says, let him who has no sin throw the first stone. Period. So Jesus is, is not given to, to using more words than are strictly necessary. So the fact that he includes love your neighbor as yourself with the first commandment to love God tells us a huge amount about how they belong together and are really important. It's as if Jesus is saying, you know, you can't have this loving God stuff unless you're also involved in the loving your neighbor stuff. And I think that's right. And actually, I think in many ways, if we understand how much God is identified with people, it makes perfect sense. I, I try to imagine a conversation. Imagine somebody came to me and said, listen, Chris, I, I, I kind of like you, and I'd like to be your friend, but um, you just need to know I can't abide your family. <laughs> I, and I, 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 I don't know what I would say to that, but I think I might be tempted to say, I'm sorry, it, it, it can't work that way. You know, I'm, I come as a package. You can't. You can't just, you know, and I think, you know, it's a bit like that with God, you know. If we love God, we're called to love the people that God loves, you know. It's included. It's included. 
And, and that's important. And it tells us that, you know, we think, oh, I've got this wonderful vertical relationship with God. And, and things between me and God are really good. And, um, yeah, but some of those other people, you know, the people I'm kind of bearing a grudge against or feel resentful towards, well, you see, God's not happy with that. That's not, that, that's not enough. That's not enough. We're called to love God, and we're called to love our neighbor. It's not like one of those exam questions, attempt anyone from two. You know, we're called to do the whole thing. Next slide. Work hard, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And there's definitely an emphasis in that uh, quote, isn't there, about working hard. And we are called to work. We are called to follow Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But, you know, Jesus is far more than an example to follow. He is also at work in our lives. And, you know, we're all building sites. And I don't know, you know, a building site, like, it's noisy, it's dirty, it's untidy, but stuff is getting done. We're all a work in progress. We are not the finished article. But there's something else, I think, in this, is that, you know, it seems to me that, that God is someone who is full of grace and kindness. He's full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the character of God. And that means that God doesn't kind of barge into rooms that, that, that are close to him. He waits to be invited. And I think there's a big role for us in being hungry for God to work to the nth degree, to work fully in our lives, that there will be no dark corners that we're saying to God, I don't want you in that room, is that we want the full treatment. If necessary, God could pull the whole building down and start again. But God, I want you working in every corner of my life. Next slide. In conclusion, uh, well, the, I think the first thing was kind of where I started was saying that, you know, when, when a question comes up, like identifying, you know, a question about lifestyle, about how we as Christians should live, then, it, you know, don't launch into it. Start with, what do we know about this from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Paul once said, I think, in writing to Corinthians, he said, when I was with you, I decided to concentrate solely on Jesus Christ, crucified. And so we need to see life and see the challenges of what it means in my life in the light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus is really good advice. Two, God loves us and identifies with us in ways that go way beyond what we can grasp. God is, you know, it's... God's love and identification with us. To God identifies with sinners. God loves us, not because we're lovable, because that is who he is. And fourth, in loving God, we are called to love our neighbor. And we're called to get, seek his help, be hungry for God, to do 
all he wants to do in our life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you supremely for Jesus Christ who emptied himself, took the form of a servant, was obedient even to the point of going to the cross and dying in our place. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we want to say to you, have your way in us, Lord. Do it all, Lord. Do it all. Build your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Amen.